Hi everybody, welcome along to the How You Say It podcast with myself, Graham Kilgower. On this week's episode, I sat down a few months ago with Danny Massaro. For those of you who don't know who Danny is, he's a well-renowned and respected sports coach, particularly in the area of squash. Danny is married to his wonderful wife, Laura, who was uh, world number one squash champion and whilst she was world number one Danny wasn't just married to her he was also coaching her in this episode we sit down and talk all about communication Danny's career is a fascinating one where he started and how he ended up getting to where he is and also about some of his thoughts on the darker arts of coaching how do we get into the headspace of performers and how can we get the best out of them and that's exactly what Danny specializes in Danny's career excelled when he became well known and an established coach when it came to coaching of the mind as well as coaching of the body and all the physical aspects of it it's great it's really really interesting and I really enjoyed listening uh, well speaking to Danny about it I met Danny on the think space Uh, critical thinking course which John Stiskowski who gets a mention in this episode uh, set up he is uh, Danny is one of the um, one of the trainers on that course and I thoroughly recommend you can you go and check that out it's think space you can find John Stiskowski or Danny Massaro online as well and these these guys really know how to get you thinking critically and challenge some of your perceptions and that's exactly what Danny does as a coach as well which is uh, which is what made me really want to sit down and have a chat with them so I really really hope you enjoy this Uh, if you can give us a like and a subscribe so that it gets a little bit more popular there's a lot more interviews to come these are a backlog of interviews that i've been doing since sort of um november last year so please give us a like and share tell people about it and uh, give me some of your feedback as well you can find me uh, on uh, linkedin graham colgower you've got twitter account graham colgower and uh, yeah just just let me know and, and please keep listening and keep keep feeding back thank you danny a teacher of sport for 25 years how did that start tell me where it started for you teaching in sport well, um, I was I, I got myself to university in Liverpool and I was doing a PE and English degree and I'd already been doing bits of coaching and little things, you know, with, with like women's football at the time and, and a little bit on squash because I'd always played squash as a kid, but never really knew coaching was a... In fact, it wasn't even a topic then, you know, to study. So it was PE, uh, physical education, uh, and maybe maybe sports studies something called sports studies that incorporated within it like sports science which was like physiology training and fitness sports psychology skill acquisition you know those types of things so anyone from that era will remember those on all the a levels and various things um but coaching really wasn't like it wasn't a an academic subject Side in a really weird way, I still don't actually think at the heart of it, coaching is an academic subject in that way. But that's another thing, even though I now I'm an academic teacher of it. Um, it's that's a controversial thing, but I'll, I'll explain that a bit more later. But you know, so I, I, I then knew that that was always something I was going to do. You know, the English bit really at the time wasn't anything that I wasn't going to be an English teacher or do anything. So when I left, I went back to my old college that I had a good affinity with, my sixth form. And my, uh, I lived on my own, you see, from when I was 16 to, to sort of 19, 20, before I went to university. So I had four years at college. I, I, I changed after the first year courses completely. 
Then I did two years A-levels uh, and didn't get the grades to go. Uh, so I was living on my own anyway. And I wasn't really in a rush to, to get away to, to uni. Um, but a lot of my mates went. I stayed, kind of got my head down for properly for six months. Did my A-levels again, retook them, changed them a bit and, and, and got three Bs uh, and did well. So then I went to Liverpool and because of that year and those years on my own, the, the head of sport, Jeff, who's my friend now, he befriended me really because he, you know, he'd look after me a bit. Some of the teachers did as well. One English teacher, they'd do my washing and they'd say, give me food <laughs> and they felt sorry for me. They little did they know I was out partying and bloody raving all the time. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Everyone kept saying, oh, it's terrible. You're on your own. You're so young. And I just kept thinking, what are they on about? It's brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> Don't get me wrong. You know, there was like lonely days and there was no phone. I had no phone, just 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 for emergencies, nine nine nine, and they had incoming. Uh, my bed was in my front room. Uh, I I had to do my washing like in the bath, uh, and and I had a thing that I hung hung it up on over over my bed like this. Oh. But it was just we were just younger and it was fun and it was right near the college. So all my mates had come back, you know, and all of that. So basically. I befriended the PE department. They looked after me. I went straight back to college. They gave me a job straight away looking after the learning centre and teaching GCSE PE. Um, and the, and they, they pushed for it to give me this, you know, I had to pass a basic interview. And that was it. That's yeah. I just went from there, like a few years of that, you know, uh, I, I suddenly then it was, it, it was like doing A-levels, B-techs. Um, and then as I went on, I, I got up, up the scale a bit some new jobs came in and I became uh, the head of provision for the higher education across the college for sport Um, and there were five heads of provision in the higher education because we had a link with the local university so these heads of provision jobs came in and it was massive I went from about 20 grand a year to 32 grand a year so it was like brilliant at the time. So yeah. you're talking 2012, 2001, 2000, maybe 2002, three, something. Maybe no, yeah, 2002, three. So that was like, you know, really good. I bought a house. Then I had more time, got back into squash, started doing squash qualifications. Then I did my NLP qualifications. Uh, in, so I was getting into the psychology. And all the time, I picked up the higher, ed- the higher national diploma, the HND, and the HNC, and we had really good links with all the local football clubs in Lancashire. So it was Bolton, Blackburn, Preston, yeah. Blackpool, Burnley, you know, all the clubs around here, Tranmere, all, all others. And um, they used to send all their young pros or some current pros uh, who played the game to the HND and HNC through the FA education scheme. Wow. So like Mickey Mellon. Uh, Earl Barrett, Robbie Elliott, uh, you know these types of players. Nolan, you know, all they, they, they're the ones I've, you know you'll know because they've gone on yeah. to things like Michael Appleton. Yeah, and they all did these HNDs, HNCs, and we taught them. So I had to really polish up then on something called sports coaching A and sports coaching B, and that was the first time I was reading sports coaching as an academic subject, and thought, wow, it's like there's all this stuff to it. And one of those things was about people and communication and different styles of delivery. So it was away from the PE thing about, you know, ethics, morality and what PE is for with children and getting them through the curriculum. And it actually became more about studying actual coaching. Yeah. 
then you were you were watching all the documentaries like the lions documentaries and you were listening reading articles from from like the fa magazine and what coaches were saying uh, and then research bits of you know then you were then i went into some of the academic research and then as the internet got better and google kicked in you could read more of that stuff and then in about night you know then for me as a teacher then I, i'd went from the college to the university because i left that job mm-hmm. ironically because i wanted to become the cross college sort of psychologist type staff support because i've done my nlp courses with neurolinguistic programming i've done that over three years which is communication really a lot of that as well but i wanted to use a lot of that then because i was a bit bored with the job and i wanted to become the cross-college development of people but the job got canned so i just went to be honest i'm leaving anyway because i'm going to go with my wife around the world co- carrying on coaching the squash and we that's what i then did so in 2007 i left full-time job the university said to me could you come and do some hours for us while you do this uh, around the world job with your mm. wife coaching squash and then I, so from that day on, I've done about a point four of a job with the university <laughs> uh, all the way from 2007 to this day. I've been there every year. And that has meant that I've, you know, I came mainly for the last 12 years. It's been masters, uh, co- masters on three modules, really sports yeah. coaching philosophy, which is full of stuff I like. Uh, and, uh, uh, stuff on performance analysis and things but doing it from the mental side and how, how you can measure things you can't see and yeah. you know with, with measured normal measurements and stuff so yeah uh that's it that's my educational part you know it's been it's been really good and i've always kept my hand in yeah i mean i'm interested going back to like pe teaching at what point when you were you know you're working in pe and you're 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 educating young children effectively at this at, at, you know through school at what point did you make the decision that you wanted to step further and progress into sports coaching because as you've said yeah I, I find this as well you know there's there isn't a lot of education out there for sports coaches and a lot of the time particularly you know now we're starting to see a change in some of the mainstream sports but I don't know what it was like for you at the challenge like for you as somebody who wasn't maybe a high-end performer, and I don't mean that in a disrespectful way with your squash, no. I don't know what your squash was like, but yeah. you know, you've mentioned having pros coming into your HNC, HND yeah. courses, who yeah. the expectation is we come from playing into transitioning into coaching to become managers. Yeah. Yeah. Now we're starting to see it, but very rarely did you see it back then where it was people who were not in the sport going into coaching. So what was the part for you, firstly, when you yeah. were in education, it made you want to focus on the, the sports coaching well, side? Well, I think it was a timing thing. You know, I grew up loving learning sports skills by myself. So I would hit squash balls on my own, play swing ball forever, snooker. You know, you couldn't get me out of my back room practicing on my own. Um, I, 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 I've just always been able to look at a book, like an old Steve Davis book in snooker, right. listen to the advice, go on the table and work it out. And then, like, show off, basically, like, to my dad or whatever. Look what I can do. Look what I've learned. And well, and he might say, well, go and learn topspin, and i go and do it. So I was always like that, and football for some reason. So relative to all my friends at the time, I was always great at sports, tennis, anything. I could just play them. And that's not all sports, you know. Like, I could, I, I could play a bit of basketball, but I wasn't, yeah. like, a top basketball player. But generally, any racket sports... 
football, all these things. I was really good at good at them. So I grew up thinking, God, I wonder if I could do this like all my life. So obviously PE was the only thing. And when I watched all my mates who were PE teachers, and a lot of them were okay at sports, but they weren't really into it, uh, genuinely helping. It was more just like, I, need, I want a job. Uh, and they weren't, a lot of them weren't that good at sport. They were, so I think for me, it was more like, I want to look, I want to know about the top end biomechanics of skill and development. And I actually want to spend a lot of time getting somebody better at sport. Yeah. And therefore coaching was more that than PE teacher, which was more, you know, like a, a very obviously noble trade <laughs> needed yeah. better or worse. But I just went into the, like, I actually want to spend most of my time getting people better at doing the sport. And if that, so, you know, that's, that's what attracted me to it. And that meant that I could go deeper into that and all what it takes to help people improve themselves. Mm. And I started to be fascinated in psychology and how you learn and through sports skills. And so that was it. It was, it was a timing. And like I say, then all the sports coaches, all the sport coaching BTECs came, the degrees, all yeah. you suddenly you could do a coaching degree. And I was at UCLan when we wrote the masters in sports coaching. Wow. You know, and before it was even it was just an undergrad topic. So it just boomed, didn't it? And yeah. it boomed with like, you know, the you know, the two thousands and then the Olympics and and now it's like you know, with Twitter and all these other things, coaching is like, you know, it's a massive topic. And and you can see even with some of the current Premier League managers now, it's quite, it's coaching more than ever now, so like looks like in that area. And uh, it's a very, it's an intellectual thinking thing. It, perhaps it always has been, but a lot of top like football now, for example, and possibly, you know, possibly uh, rugby and other sports and that, there's an intellect there, but the art will always still be um, not making it too academic, not making it too uh, descriptive yeah. and solution focused from the outside. You've still got to remember how absurd sport is from the inside. And in a way, that's what my PhD ended up being. Wow. So, I mean, you, know? you, you talk about the NLP, so that's Neuro Linguistic Programme. Yeah. And you, you, I mean, that's not something everybody who goes into sports coaching does. It's, it's quite no. common in sports coaching, but it's also common in life coaching and executive um, coaching and things like that. You, and you've yeah. talked about, you know, I look at quite a lot about the, the directive and non-directive approaches when you're when you're dealing with coaching. And, and you've mentioned about football and stuff. And I think, personally, I see it like, you know, more and more people are moving towards the ask versus tell. So, of course, when you're talking about things like squash and tennis or even football or anything where there is an element of physical physical skill, there does have to be that directive coaching at some point where someone has to say, pull your chest up or keep your head yes. low and swing yeah. through a little bit more. Yeah. But more and more of it is on that neuro neurological part of it. So what was the, I mean, NLP, how 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 early was NLP in your sort of career? And what do you think it's done for you moving forward in the area that you're in? Well, I think I think it was a vital sort of uh building block uh, that I did when I was like towards the end of my twenties that Firstly, it was a qualification that kind of walked, got me awake and it was like mind-blowing stuff. So 
it's it's how you think as opposed to what you think. Um, it, so it's NLP is a bit like if we can, if you can sort of say, well, I, I, I have this belief. And then you go, well, where's that belief come from and how was it structured? And you can break that down and you can go, oh, yeah, you can sort of reprogram that belief how you want. So right. then, so then you just realize that your beliefs and thoughts are just like, they're just pliable. They're often not true. They're just, you think they're true. Hmm. And another big thing from the NLP, so we did all these processes, phobia reliefs and various things like that and changing personal history. And, you know, uh, we did things like um, uh, definitely belief change. We did a lot of stuff on belief change and how you can alter something you once believed or at least loosen a belief so it's not as permanent and you can have options around it. Uh, perceptual positions, which was about how you can take perspectives, which mm-hmm. is going meta, you know, outside of yourself. So you could see a problem from your position, from their position, and from a, a neutral observer's position. And you could mess around with the observer. The observer could be a comedian. The observer could be someone from 12 BC. Mm. The observer could be you in the future, the 80-year-old you. The observer could be your best friend. What would they say about it? So, you, you know, it's so obviously it's all made up, but you do these processes and you get all this new information around something. So the, these processes could take an hour and then at the end you'd kind of changed a little bit. And they were really, really good. And, the, and then we did loads of stuff on the second one to do with personality styles through the Enneagram process. We did a lot of Ken Wilber stuff about the, the internal and self and the external self. Uh, the the I, the we, the it, and the its in the world. So his integral model, which I found really interesting. Did a lot on spiral dynamics, which was Claire Graves' is, uh, What Makes a Psychologically Healthy Human Being. And, he's, and he basically said that it's the person who can adapt their values constantly. They've not got this one set of values. They're just constantly adaptable based on contexts. So again, I was like, all I was doing sports coaching a lot and all these tools and things were helping in the actual coaching bit, that they were all helping with personal psychology and changing players' mindsets, you know. Yeah, so that that, yeah. that was quite important. Giving them belief. And my wife, Laura, used a lot of it. You know, we were trying to beat Nicole David at the time, who was like the clearly the number one dominant player, mm. probably the best woman of all time in terms of a record. And Laura tracked her down, tracked her down. Eventually, we brought through and we we got to beat Nicole quite a few times which was amazing for where Laura was originally coming from. So a lot of that was belief. Yeah. She did with the NLP. She actually went to my instructor who taught me and had him directly as her personal NLP, oh. like psychologist type yeah. thing. It was massive because she, she had other psychologists for the things, but he was particularly good at this like mind stuff. A bit like Paul McKenna, you know, the man right. who does all the hypnosis. Underneath all that, it's, it's NLP. And right. Tony Robbins, if you ever heard of yeah. Tony Robbins, yeah. it's, all that, it's all that kind of stuff, that that thing. Not for everybody. It's got a bit of a bad reputation because, it, you know. It, so anyway, at the time it felt massive and, and so on. But one of the things I did get from that in terms of coaching was communication. We did a lot on how you communicate and rapport. Yeah. And the yeah. oil of communication is rapport. So it'd be body language and mirroring and matching and all these things. And a big thing that I got, two statements I got from there, from that, I remember clearly, and because um, I use it still, and I remember, uh, I think it was Bandler and all the original NLP people from the 70s, you know, 72, that came from, came from the sort of self-enlightenment movement after the hippies, really, out in California. 
um, which is if you watch the Century of the Self by Adam Curtis on uh, YouTube, you know you, you can see how it all started. Right. Quite interesting how it yeah, all it's all about brilliant. It's all about how the self, uh, the Century of the Self, and how the self became self-important, and mm. even all these NLP and all these processes were about you being a better you. Yeah, yeah, you know. Yeah. So very interesting. That links in with the coaching, obviously. Well, on, the, on on that front, right? You you mentioned a little bit about NLP, about having a bad yeah. rep and things like that, and sports yeah. like, taking it into the sports psychology side of it. Yeah. Where are you coming in at the time when the sports psychology was starting to make a bit of a boom? Because you know you've heard yeah. stories of the past of oh, you know what do I need a sport? You know, sports yeah. psychologists talking about mental side of the sport. Yeah that that's the shrink that you don't want to have and all these kind of things. And I remember, you know, Dan Carter, the New Zealand All Blacks uh, captain, you know, said at a time that when they started to get sports psychologists coming in, it was like a revelation for them to say, well, we coach our bodies, but we never coach our minds. And suddenly within, within a few years of having these sports psychologists and a bit of NLP and reframing and all the things that you've just talked about, suddenly, you know, New Zealand go on and win two back-to-back World Cups, and it's now they look back and go, "I can't believe all these years went by where we weren't doing what we're doing right now to to put our minds into the position at the same time as our body." So, did you have any issues? You've talked about rapport building, which is something I want to really look into. Yeah, but did you have any resistance at the time that you were getting into this? You know what? I I sports psychology was already a really popular. Uh, like you'd have to go and do a whole degree in it and then uh, to go to the, you know, official sports psychology place UK. So I was just a squash coach. You know, I never advertised. I've never advertised myself as a psychologist in my life. I've never, because I've never had that recognized particular qualification. I've just been someone who's coached sports that I've done the NLP qualifications and I'll go, you look like you're struggling with that player. So it's always been very sports specific. It's not been psychotherapy or anything, you know, what I've done now, I'm a bit more of an existential coach because I've done a PhD in existential phenomenology. So I've gone more into more philosophical view and, you know, of life through, through qualifying in that. But again, I won't go out there and advertise myself as some sort of psychologist or psychotherapist. People are to help them, uh, and I never, never go out advertise. So that, that's that. So I never, I never got any resistance because I wasn't like, I wasn't marketing myself in any way as that. I was too busy with my uni and yeah. too busy with Laura. It was just players would occasionally hear I was quite good with the mind, and they'd say, "Oh, could you help me a bit?" or through a conversation, and just set off like that. But so sports psychology, probably I'd say in the last ten years, maybe twenty twelve onwards, twenty fifteen onwards has actually now gone to a new level hasn't it it's like just accepted that you know and they reckon it's going to go on again now in football for example we're going to they're going to every player is going to have their own thing oh yeah and all of that but for me like with with the we see with the nlp um it was definitely poo-pooed at the universities you know with this with the likes of the the people who've done all the academic stuff in coaching at the time and proper it was definitely a oh god, it's a weekend course and like yeah, it's all crap and it's just marketing and selling. You know, it's sets for salespeople. And I just thought, well, it's all basically about charisma and convincing people and changing their minds. Well, that's sport. Yeah. You know, a lot of that's coaching. You know, rapport. 
And the communication one, it was the, la the line I remember was the communication. Your communication is only as good as the response you get back. Brilliant. Yeah. Right. So that one was NLP. And the other one was it is impossible not to communicate. Mm -hmm. Even, you know, you know, you know, you don't ring somebody up. You ignore them. You stay in your house. You communicate in volumes. Yeah. Yeah. It's much when you ring them up and tell them something. No, yeah. I mean, that, that's it. And then all these things, how you are, your walk, your face, your timing, your punctuality, your attitude, how you smell, what your hairstyle is, you know, and you know through signaling, you know, what you did on the course. You are always constantly communicating. It's impossible not to communicate. Yeah. So that stuck with me a lot because if I get texts from players or emails or various things, very important that I know what that person expects in terms of standard communication between me and that person. Now, if I want to sort of send a message that I'm pissed off or whatever, sometimes rather than saying I'm pissed off, I might just leave it a day before I email them. Yeah. Further, the, that's childish, but that's the games we're playing, isn't it? They're the little things you do. Now, as I've got older, obviously, I'm not as much like that, a bit more direct. But equally, you know, you are, you can communicate in a million ways. But the one that gets me is it is the you know the communication is only as good as the response you get. What it taught me was we're all brilliant. Even these pod podcasts are incredible at it, aren't they? We just chuck out information. Yeah, it doesn't mean that learning has happened. It doesn't mean anything until the response. So if I get a response off a podcast I've done or or you know something of a, a, a lecture, and I get a good question back, I think oh nice one. So yeah. even if that question's challenging me, I think, well, bloody hell, at least they've understood the, the original point to, to shatter it to pieces because yeah. they really don't agree with me and they can explain it why. So then, I, so I then, you can take that on. What I learned was, was that, like, that what communication wasn't because I would always be looking for little small responses and through questioning and eyes and contacts and trying to perceive the person. And just naturally, it became like, and as a teacher, you've got to do this anyway. You're gauging whether learning is actually happening or you're just chucking out information and saying, I've done my job. Well, that, that kind of like, you know, the main crux of this podcast, about, mm. you know, how you say it. And, uh, you know, it's, it's about, well, the big question is, it's usually a question I ask at the end, but how do you get your point across so people can understand not just what you're saying, but what you're meaning? And I think when you're coaching or teaching or anything like that, it's it's easy, as you've just said, to try and chuck out as much information as possible. But if you're not getting the correct responses back, then is the information going in? And I think when you look at it from, and that's why I'm 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 reaching out to people like yourselves who have worked in sport because yeah. the proof's in the pudding, isn't it? You see what the outcomes actually are if you're able to get that point across. So I mean, it, it, what about when you 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 married Laura? who then yeah. went on to become world champion and world number one. Yeah. Right. So I mean, just, if we just before that, just to finish sure. that point, I think it's important. I, it's not, it's not always that they learn what you're saying. You might just be trying to communicate that you're serious about something. Yeah. Right. You might just be trying to communicate to them. Something's coming and it's, you know, uh, it's, it's going to have to change. You, you might be trying to stimulate curiosity. It's not that they learn what you're saying, but you want a reaction. Yeah. That's another way of saying it. Right. So, and that's very personal. 
So I'm looking for a certain response. I might want someone to leave my session pissed off at me. Yeah. Because they've been like living in a bit of a dream world for for a while. And I want to get to the truth of something. Mm. So I might say a few things one night just to like make them go home angry at me or a bit like, what what's he going on about? Because I want to communicate something more serious, but in the, um, the response I get back is a reaction. It's not always about, have you learned how to hit that backhand right? So, you know, like, yes. you check learning, you're clever, you've passed. So I think communication is, is you're always, you're always up to something as a coach. It's not, you know, you're looking for, reactions and responses yeah and you're provoking and you're prodding and you are it's i've done a lot of coaching where i've thought i've gone from the lesson and they've gone wow they learned it and i've learned it and they're they're all good but i haven't instigated the right reaction i wanted a certain reaction and they've not they've not done the emotional reaction to it yeah and i would rather that they'd have got the emotional reaction than the actual information Right. I'd rather they had the wet if it's it's coaching a squash shot. I'd rather that they had the the attitude and the way you hit it, the meaning. Right. It like this is what you play this and you do it because it causes this and this, not just they could go away and coach that shot like verbatim. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I found with a lot of kids that are good at school and they're good at that and they're getting A's and all of that. They're not a lot of them doesn't it doesn't necessarily correlate with being able to respond in sports coaching situations because in school they learn something verbatim and repeat it and then they're told they're clever. They're not getting the emotional response out of it from, from the, 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 that you're wanting. Yeah, I want, I, I, if I were, like, let's say I just spun them a load of bullshit, that like yeah. I want them to go, oh, that's bullshit. Yeah. And I go, ah, it is, isn't it? It kept you on your toes. <laughs> like I re- the reaction was, so I know they're listening to me. That's the yeah. respect. Communication. I'm communicating something like that because I want them to pick up on it. Yeah. I'm them, and I think you do that with coaching a lot. I think I think you're, you're dealing with human psychology because it's a person, isn't it? You know, you're not just a machine. Uh, and obviously, with all the personality differences, all the maturity differences, all the different types of intellect, you know, types of stuff. Not not you don't get too bogged down in that, like trying to be perfectionistic with the complexity but you're always aware that it's like a live situation and you're always the communication the meaning of your communication is the response you get mm, that's in a weird way you're always checking of whether they've sussed it or not you know so i'll go i might go to a practice match and i'll go yeah they look great in the session and they, they can they can pull all the right faces with me and they're signaling to me that they perfectly understood it at the end of the day, are they going to use it in the match? Yeah. The match and don't use it. Or what was the bloody point of the coaching? Yeah. Just so that, you know, we can go and pass a degree in it somewhere. On That's not what I'm interested in. I'm interested in what happens actually in the match. Do I do I actually affect change when it matters? Do you, do you think that's easier to bring in in a sort of one-to-one sport rather than a team sport because it's easier to know about the individual personally than it is to know about maybe 15, 11 guys or girls on, on a pitch? I don't think it's easier or harder. I just think it's it's a point of principle. Yeah. You know what I mean, you, you're used to it. You've probably gone into team sports because you're good at it. You've probably gone into individ- individual sports and different sports, bring all types of different complexities. You know, in boxing, you've got danger, rock climbing. You know, if you don't listen to it, you get their heads knocked off, you 
you know, that's serious. There's danger. Team sports, you can hide. But mm. positions in certain team sports are different than others. You've in got terms to- of getting that emotional response, though, Danny, if you're saying, like, yeah. you know, if you're trying to get... One thing really interesting, I heard uh, David Moyes talking about how the big change in his management mm. was during mm. lockdown, was he talked a lot about the fact that the training that they had, they were only allowed like three or four people at the training ground at one time. So what they were doing was they'd have the fitness coach, the physio, David Moyes and the player, and they would be in for like an hour session. And David Moyes said it's the first time in his career he actually got to know individuals as individuals as a team. Yeah, I recommend it. Yeah, I would totally recommend that because when you're working with an individual, providing, you know, you're not just bored, of course, you know, they get your your eye, you're a hawk, you're on you're on the details more. They know you're watching them. And then and then, you know, if you're good, you know, I know the West all the West Ham boys got fitter, didn't they? Yeah. But then just a side point there, that that's Moy says that then he had two good seasons. He's maybe not as a good season this year. Mm-hmm. You know, when you do well, you always start cooking up theories why you why you're so good. <laughs> you know. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> That's another thing. So it's like, oh, yeah, it must be true because David's had two good seasons. He believes it himself. Yeah. But he, what, what's happening this season? The rubbish. By then, you know, is he, has he, he stopped that? Has he become complacent? So he's not getting the reaction. So he will have to think to himself at home, which I'm sure he will because he's, he's, he's a world, he's a top, top worldy manager, isn't he? So he, if he's doing that now, he'll be reflecting, why are they not responding to me? Is it just bad luck? Is it absurdity? Are they responding and, and they're tired? Or they're not really the same as they were? What is it? What are they missing? So he's not getting the response and the reaction at the moment. Yeah, that's, yeah. So he, he, that's, what's, that's what's frustrating about coaching. You, just as the moment you think you've got it and you think, you know, I, I, I could coach all people all the time. And you even start getting so arrogant, you think you could do other sports, you know. Yeah. And coaching people you've never met, like you know what's good for them, that's just that's just the ego, and it's hard not to have that when you're riding high. Um, then you, you, you suddenly it'll kick you in the arse. It's like so. I think with communication, Graham, it is a constant everyday process, and you've got to have the energy to stay alive to it yeah. all the time. You know, it's not like a dog who's you know look after it for six months to a year and it'll always love you forever you've got to keep on it every day like because people you know people get pissed off and they stop reacting as soon as they feel a bit neglected or you know a bit pied off or not cared for can happen really fast well on that subject i mean there's there's books being written on couples communicating with each other for (laughs) happy marriages and long-lasting marriages and things like that so what about when you're when you're talking, I mean, you're talking about if you want, uh, if you want somebody you're coaching, you sometimes want them to leave the session pissed off. But what happens if you've got to jump in the car and drive back together? So, yeah. with Laura, you, you, your 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 wife Laura, so world champion, world number one, all these kind of things, a huge huge level, at elite sport at individual level, and you're her coach. So, what was that like to be able to have to? sort of share the communication of what's home life and what's the communication of life on the court? Well, I think for most of her career, like she also had like, I shared the coaching with someone else. So I was the ever present one all the way through it. So I was doing a lot of the dog work, the groundwork every day. And then she'd pop off and see these other expert coaches now and again that became my mates, particularly the last one, David Pearson. 
So we 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 could be good cop, bad cop with each other. Mm-hmm. You know, I could say to him, you're going to have to take the lead here a bit more and be a bit more d- insistent, and I can be the good cop for a bit. Yeah. Earlier on in the career, to almost, I don't know, like just it's luck, isn't it, and timing, but I was very pragmatic. I've always been, a bit probably like when, you know, I was, in my flat, it was just get on with it. Don't you don't feel sorry for yourself? You're in a situation, sort it out. Mm. So I've been very like, if you know, Laura, you got nervous. She's early. You didn't try. This went wrong. You're not playing a drop shot. What are you doing? You've done all that practice. You didn't play one. What's the point? You know. And I wanted it answered. I wanted those. And so that came across as like, oh, you don't understand this pressure. And I didn't understand a lot of it. Mm. But sometimes it's good to be naive. Yeah. But you just ask the simple questions. You know, you just go, why? You know, sometimes you can watch football as a fan and just go, no, simply, guys, run more. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. it. Like, run more and run faster and simply get fitter. Yeah. Right? And and I'm not saying that's going to solve football forever, but but it can be something simple like that. Like, And I think for me, it was just like, the balls are landing there and they're not landing there. So what are you going to do about it? Like, why are we flying over here and not, and, and we're putting this time in? And so I was very like, oh, you know, and then I, I never keep the anger or frustration. It'd be there for a bit after the match and that, but then we were always back on court the next day or that night or something else and we were working on it. Then yeah. what you do with that attitude and approach, then you could bring in the expertise and that attitude got going. And to be fair, to be honest, I never hit one shot for Laura. It was Laura, everything she ever yeah. did. She was a like a premium, premium um, athlete. You know, I just marvel her, her attention to detail and dedication and some of the work she put in. So it's, but let's get this right. When players are really good, it's mainly the player, not the coach, I think. Yeah, yeah. But what you do, you do add that vital sort of cream on the top of the cake, you know, that bit that makes the cake in a way, that that yeah. small but maybe essential flavouring that kind of makes it, you know, we, the decoration. So we, with her, it got easier and easier and easier. So she led it more and more and more and more. And I could just chill, 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 chill and just be more of a like a more of a, a, a stern guide without getting angry. And all that we got then at the end was all at the end. It was it was just I just wanted her to say thank you and show me respect. Mm. All the time I was improving as a coach anyway and working with other players and how my career was going up. So she naturally respected me more and psychology. I was getting more skilled as well. Yeah, you saw how all the top players reacted to me. So she was also like, well, he's actually making them better. Yeah, and yeah. Work- like say Nick Matthew now who is a psychologist and they he really believes in it. So she just naturally she had had earned the right as well for her just to just to basically shut her mouth a bit when I was talking about squash and not always have a comeback. Yeah. What did I know? Yeah. So that that was a good one. But it literally was just like manners and I knew like in any I knew when I'd been a bit of an idiot and I'd say sorry. Yeah. Laura wouldn't know no, when she'd been a bit an idiot and never say sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I was thinking, you know, has there ever been a if, if you're sitting there, if you're sitting there and you're having your dinner and it's quiet and you start trying to talk to her 
and she knows. It's, does she pick up and go, Danny, are you trying to NLP me right now when we're trying to have some quality time together? Or yeah. were you able no, to? No, there were none of that. I mean, that in the early days, to be fair, when you're learning NLP, you, you're like, you go home and all you can do is that process. You see it everywhere. But she would listen to me and let me practice. Yeah. She's always been good at that. It's like, oh, even more PhD, reading books on holidays, flights, always reading stuff out, yeah. you know, really. And so it was like a way of me getting it in my head. And then that was it. I would bring Peter on board, mm. the, the NLP specialist, not me. Because yeah. yeah. at the end of the day, even though I'd qualified in it, he was the man, you know, he was yeah. brilliant at it and it wasn't me. Um, yeah. I, to be fair though, I, I, before she won the World Open final in Malaysia, I did the phobia sort of adapted phobia relief process thing for nerves where you sort of go to the cinema in your head and mm. do positive visualisation. She, 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 she was going into that final. She had a mental block. She sort of was like, oh, "Am I going to win? Am oh, I going to win the point?" She couldn't even she couldn't even imagine it. So we had to. Re, you go. You do like it, like a phobia cure, like where you go to the movies in your head and sit there and start playing through the film and, and watching yourself do it, and then eventually you jump into the movie. And so you know, in terms of communication, that's an interesting one because communication with yourself is vital, isn't it? How you talk to yourself. Well, I mean. So, you know, you want players to be. You want you want to get players being better at coaching themselves, and that is a hard thing to do. Yeah. You know, because I've always taken that for granted. You see, I've always thought that like you just you just do sport, you work it out, you, you take the information, you get yourself better, really. Mm. But you realize there's a lot of people can't do that. They can't coach themselves. They can't think for themselves. Um, so that's a that's that's a, another skill about how do you get them to communicate better internally with themselves. Well, I mean, you're talking about the cinema thing. You know, it's interesting. There's studies that now show that if you open neurological pathways to visualize something, then you're much more likely to be able to do it because you're removing you're removing a block there. And as you've said, it's one thing being able to communicate that to somebody else, but actually get them internally to be able to do it as well. So that that yeah. must be. Must be quite tricky, but we, one of the things that's interested is that John Stuskowski, who we're going to get on the podcast as well, yeah. he's your sort of friend and colleague through the Think Space podcast, which we'll talk about a bit later as yeah. well. He mentioned one night when we were doing one of the, the Think Space uh, cohort courses, and he, he mentioned the dark arts of coaching. And it's, yeah. because you, it's like going back to your thing about the cake. It's already yeah. there. You've got a, you've got an athlete that has the skill set, and it's like, well, what when when that's winning, it's the athlete that's doing it. But what's the coach actually adding? And and that's what he said. He used to phrase dark arts as such, but actually, it was because what we were referring to was getting into somebody's head. Yes. Without them actually feeling like we're intruding inside their head, yeah. and then getting that little bit extra out yeah. of them so that they're <laughs> they're mentally ready. I mean, that is that fundamentally what you you think yeah. it could be like that, you know. Yeah, you have to. You you you're dropping it. I was sat on a flight once, just going over to the Cayman Islands, the World Champs one for tournament. And I was Laura, and I'm looking out the window, and I went, mm. "So it's weird, isn't it? We're all flying out, all these players, 120 players, to Cayman Islands. How many out of 128 players do you think can actually win this tournament? Because mm. there's only because everyone knows Nicole's going to win it because she'd won the last six, kind of thing, you know. And I looked. I was winding her up. Yeah. Basically, it was a better way of saying you you don't think you can win this, do you? We're flying here for a holiday, really. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. So just you just leave that question, and then she goes quiet and goes, "What do you, or goes? What do you mean?" So, well, you know what I mean. You, you I mean, for example, do you think you can win it? And no, I just just hoping you might play well. And it it's like makes her have a real, and then she gets a bit might get a bit upset or that some tears in her eyes because it hits her that oh shit. It's too scary to think I could win it and deal with being the world champion on this plane flying back the other way. I'm, I'm not mentally prepared to actually, you know, be wow. like, be the world champion. Like, and that's a tough thing. You win your semi-final, like I mentioned before, or the day after, or the, or the one, the block that she got when she won, actually won it. It's really bloody difficult because you're going to bed that night, you wake up in the morning, you go, in 12 hours, I could be the world champion, which changes your whole history and your whole future. Yeah. Because we, we think through time, don't we, as humans? We're not we're not dogs and trees and forever. So you are re- literally rewriting your history when you win the worlds. Wow. In the sport and beyond it. You win the British Open in squash, you, pre- you probably rewrite it within and you win it within squash. But the world champs goes beyond the sport transcends if you're in world champion you know yeah in our village where we live she'll always be the girl who's the world champion and it's a nice thing for all the children and she goes to the primary schools and all the things massive same with the olympics you know so it's like mentally can you can you actually handle the thought of that and then can you go and perform (laughs) and it's like crikey you know um so it's 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 very complex, you know. This is my existential, philosophical stuff, where I bring in stuff around what Sartre, Heidegger, Camus, you know, absurd things, and the human existence is very complicated. It changes all the time. It's all about who you are and what you are not yet. It's yeah. all about I'm happy with who I am, but I'm also want to be my potential self. It's a very ambiguous existence. And what you do with the dark arts, you sort of like, kind of like, you kind of do things as if you say, I know what you're really thinking, but you can't admit it to yourself or me yet. Right. Okay. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and therefore going out and having maybe a few beers or, you know, a few glasses of wine after some defeats or a night out and chatting and spending time with a player, like away from it, letting them relax and then get the loose lips and things can come out that way, you know. So that might be considered what you, John might have meant with a dark art, going and drinking, and you might create an argument. You see it in the films, don't you, all the time? They have to have a dark arts moment in Rocky or yeah, yeah, Fire or bloody big row. It's all part of the the drama of the emotion. And and really, when when you do when when I see sports films where in the end they make it you do get emotional and you do get crying and the Rocky music because of the strife that they've gone through. Yeah. And it's the overcoming of the, of the existential strife and the, and the, oh, and, 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 you know, all the problems and still getting there. It's the courage. It's the courage that they've shown to come through and have a moment. Yeah. Even yeah. horses like Seabiscuit, that film and things like that gets me every time. Yeah. The horse running and I'm flipping, crying my eyes out on a plane, <laughs> trying to let people see. You know, and something about that it must be around. It's about um, self faith. It's about courage. It's it's and 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 that is bloody hard to go there and maybe and have that level of honesty and emotion and, and yeah. like open yourself up to that uh, to that vulnerability in some ways and say 
what it is. It's not about just standing there and setting goals, all neat, nice little goals, but never going deep in yourself. You yeah. know, it's it's all surface, that stuff. It all looks the part, but they're not really revealing themselves and opening themselves up to the to the courage and the vulnerability and the sacrifice and the losses they have to get through and the embarrassment and the shame, the shame and the people doubting them wow. and, and, and their own self, these, their own self doubts. And yeah, that, that's, that's difficult that's for them to communicate. Yeah. yeah. So what I, I mean is, is when you do dark arts, I think the dark so-called dark art bits are for, always for a positive intention. Of course. Right. Yeah. And I think that I think it's something linked to that. I think it's something linked to getting the, underneath the skin into someone's soul and belly and I'm creating a reaction like I'm wiser than you. And I know that you that you that this this has to come out in you. And I know I, you don't even know it has to come out. And or you don't even know what it is. Well, I think when you, the no. example we were talking about was Lendl with Murray. Oh, and Lendl saying, yeah, and you're saying, you know, at that level of elite sport, there's only so many elite players at the top level, and mm. there's only so many coaches at that top level as well. And you often yeah. see that, you know, when when a, if a coach comes through that's bringing through a young player that's doing really, really well, mm. suddenly the, the, the top players might be looking at their own coach and going, How's he getting so much success with that guy? Or how's she getting so much so much yeah. success? Like, you know, dump that coach and get the get that person's yeah. coach. And, and maybe it works or maybe it doesn't work. And then what you tend to find is like Murray with Lendos, they revert back because mm. and it's because of that. Maybe that's that person knows I know how to how to yeah. get to that. I, I agree. Yeah. I totally agree. And it's you know what people like. You like some comedians and you don't like other comedians. Yeah, true. You're like, you know, you just hit it off with friends at school. You don't know why really. You just hit it off. You yeah. don't know why, do you? You just I don't know, just just me mate. And you hit so you, you do hit there's this element, you do hit it off with people for various reasons, you know, personality, accents, yeah, uh, level of past success, they make you laugh, uh, you love them, you find them attractive or they remind you of your granddad. I don't know. There's a myriad of unknown reasons why you just hit it off and don't hit it off with people. And some people just get you, don't they? They just yeah. understand, and you're on the same page, and they can, they can, they can tap into you um, at different times of your life as well. Yeah, yeah. You know, there are certain coaches that are just brilliant junior coaches, and certain ones that are great at the very, very elite, elite adult. Yeah, yeah. Swap roles don't mean one's better than the other you know they're just great at that bit with those types of people oh. you know you know like i'm not very good i mean i'm pretty effective but i'm not at my best with kids because i'm too deep right. I'm, I'm not relaxed enough i'm not i'm not i'm not a laugh as much i'm, I'm 48 I'm, I'm i'm past that a bit you know don't get me wrong i can put on some great kids sessions and they learn yeah. But fundamentally, I'm not cut out to be with kids all day, every day, um, as my best strength. I'm right. best with adults, and yeah. particular adults that like to think yeah. about the game and, and, and solve problems. So that suits me. But I'm not everybody's cup of tea by any stretch. And sometimes you know, I suppose you'll have to turn a player. If you don't if you don't get on, if there's not that chemistry with a player, you know, it's not just a case yeah. of, 
yeah. you know, sometimes there will be that situation where yeah. you have to say, I don't think I'll, I don't think I'll, well, I'll coach you, and maybe yeah. not, we're not on the same level. With regards to communicating your point, finally, what would you say to people listening who are maybe thinking about getting into coaching or even just dealing with communicating with groups of people or individuals to how to get that reaction out of them? What kind of fundamentals do you think they need to have to build on and carry that on? Got to be, um, I think you've, you've got to care. They've got to know you care. Mm. Uh, even if you, even if it's an army person shout, you know, in a way shouting at them, get in line. You know, ultimately they're like because this guy doesn't want me to die in war. Yeah. Who cares, right? He's, I'm not a, just a like genuinely doesn't want me. You know, he's got to be tough for me. So, that, so I think the the fundamental thing is this person cares about me. They're pretty steady and solid and consistent, mm. and the way you show care. It's very personal and specific, you know. It's it's can be the tiniest little things and the comments and so on. And I think then you've got a far better chance of them of them switching on. Mm. And also, you've got to pick your moments. We've got dissertation students at the moment, masters handing in. They they, they don't want to. They're too busy. It's not been the priority. They've had loads of sporting events on. They're not ready to listen to me bang on about what they need to be doing. They need to get an extension because of what's been going on with all their events. And then when they're ready to really listen to me, and they basically they're only ready when they put it up the priority list, I need to do this dissertation now yeah. or that bit. And it's like number one or two in what they need to get done. Then they'll listen to me. Mm. So when I go banging on about phenomenology and research methods and theory, They'll be like, can you just say that again, Danny? I like that. Yeah, yeah. When it's not even number two, they just pie me off with that with those nice faces that we can all pull. Yeah. Like we're when we're not. Yeah. Yeah. And that's it. So you get a you get as a coach, as a teacher, you get a knack of knowing when someone's on it. Yeah. Or, and when they're just pulling the right face in the board. That takes time. Yeah. But pick your moments and care. Yeah, that's fantastic. Well, listen, Danny, it's been it's been really, really interesting hearing all about your 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 stories. And you know what? There's probably plenty in here we could keep going on for another couple of hours. Thank you so much for giving us your time. Really, really appreciate it, Danny.